Hey pals, welcome to Team Up Moves. I'm Fiona. And I'm Stephanie, and this is the podcast where we play superhero-themed role-playing games and then talk about them. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about our mundane supernatural life. This is by V. Hendro and Haley Gordon and published by their Story Brewers Company. It's part of their Little Box series of RPGs. And we had quite a little time with this. This was great, Stephanie. I loved it. I This is a game that, that we kind of playtested before we recorded. This was the second time through with this game. And I knew I was looking forward to playing this again with you. It's also really structurally different from anything else I've played and anything else we've played for the podcast. Yeah. And and I think that, you know, pacing wise, this is uh, we kind of wanted it at this point in the evolution of the show to do something that's a little more intimate, I would say, just the two of us getting together to to do the game. And I, I hope that come across, came across. I, I hope that, that folks enjoyed listening to the actual play. Yeah, this is a, a game that involves cards and it is GMless and it's a two player game and it's a game where most of the action is timed. So the real world pacing for the players in real life interacts with the pacing and the decision making for the characters in a way that's pretty rare in an RPG. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. Okay, so we start things out with the origin story. And here we go through character creation. Um I mean, for starters, I just want to say we've got a pair of self inserts here. I, I, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that, and I just think like that's kind of what happened. But that's that's who we made. So, so talk about uh, talk about Gima. So yes, uh, Gima, which stands for General Intelligence Mechanical Augmentation, is uh, of course a, a synthetic, clanky, clanky, metallic intelligent life form, and she looks it. She looks like a whole bunch of Galena cubes, that's a shiny lead ore, that are put together in kind of an irregular fashion. And how many cubes there are and where there are is always changing because she has stretchy powers and kind of morphing powers turning into different kinds of modern machines within limits. And her origin is an origin where she didn't used to be conscious and then she was, but she was still treated by the city like a machine. And then the machine figured out that if she wasn't crossing picket lines, she must be making some decisions of her own and let her loose as a being who knew that she could be extremely useful with her many skills, but didn't really understand her way in the world or how to have a private life or an emotional life. She just wanted to be helpful. And I believe Fiona indicated that there was some self-insert going on, which is not wrong. <laughs> she has certain things in common with the characters from Marvel's Machine Man stories, both Aaron, Machine Man himself, and Jocasta, Machine Man's ill-fated mechanical girlfriend who was built for evil and turned out good. And also, of course, some things in common with everyone's favorite mutant from the technarchy, Warlock. Right. Uh, Emily uh, is a trans girl with an executive function disorder. And that's, you know, I'm just uh, playing plan what I know, I think, in, in that case. And certainly the I, I love the, you know, I, I love the queer dream of owning the off-grid sheep farm commune with all of your gay friends. And I feel like Emily was on the path to that. And I kind of like how there's some conflict there. Like, how do you live off-grid if you're in a relationship with someone who literally needs the grid and is is literally tied to the city? I, I feel it. I feel it. Again, <laughs> some self-inserts there. And Gima does not have any idea 
that perhaps her, at the beginning of the game, roommate would prefer to live in a rural environment that just hasn't occurred to her. I mean, I don't think Emily actually wants to, but it's, again, it's about the dream. It's not about about it actually happening. It's, it's so, a, go on. You can, no, no, it's just a dream of sheep puns. Huh. Yeah, we, yes. Do, do robots dream of sheep puns is, is really the question. Um, <clears throat> so there actually is character creation in in this game mechanically, and it's there's four questions. And they're, you know, it's just like, just all right here on, on page seven, you first choose a relationship. And we decided to kind of go for roommates and a little bit of the oblivious lesbian roommate trope. Yeah, in that you can be people who are already in a romantic relationship. You can be you know, family members, flatmates, best, you know, really kind of whatever you want. But it's, there is the conceit of the game that you're starting out kind of, kind of knowing each other and having some sort of establishment. Yeah. The second thing is, is to choose how you're supernatural. And uh, we got that with, with Gima's robotics and her creation. And then there's choose one supernatural problem. I think it, in our case, it, 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 it ended up being Gima's responsibility to the city. Yeah. Again, self-insert. I, I had forgotten that we choose one supernatural problem because we had a couple that we could solve, but they were unified by Gimo wanting to do superhero things. And something we should say about this game is that some of the other games we've played are designed around particular superhero tropes. If you are playing them, you are playing superheroes. This is a game that allows rather than requiring you to incorporate superhero tropes. You can absolutely play our mundane supernatural life if you want to and have the supernatural roommate or partner or sibling or whatever be a demonic creature from a hell dimension who's all whose problem is not trying not to eat the world or a creature from the fey realm who is always trying not to disappear or to turn everything around her into flowers there are many kinds of supernatural tropes that this game can accommodate that are not superhero stories but we chose to play a superhero story cuz we like those yeah, and and we'll get to I think in the back issues how this is is probably telling some superhero stories that we really like but are not necessarily well represented in the fiction. The final question is choose a mundane problem and this is sort of something that uh that the mundane protagonist has to wrestle with. And this can be, you know, in our case it was Emily's interview with Aiden at the end of the week. Could be examples here are moving town, planning a funeral, going vegan, like that kind of thing. But whatever you choose, you're setting up this situation at at the beginning where each person has a thing they're dealing with. And one of them is is mundane and one of them is supernatural. And the game is then about playing out how those interlock and... Uh, build on each other or complicate each other. One of the great things structurally about this game is that, and one of the things that connects it, at least in my mind, to the writing of an ongoing comic book is that you've got a rising action and a through line, really three through lines, because you're telling the story of the larger scale problem that each character wants to solve. And you're telling the story of their evolving relationship through those problems. And as you turn over each card, you get to either make progress in that larger storyline or you get to have a one-off problem or a one-off sparkly delight that you take three minutes to describe and then don't see again. 
Yeah. And let's talk about those cards. This is the other part of prep, though. Again, when you play this game, you don't really need to do beforehand prep. This is all kind of just like at the table before the, the scenes really get underway. It, but it's, the game it's prep. It's prep before you start turning over cards and setting a timer, but you don't sure, need to do it sure, sure, sure. like a different day. Right, exactly. And the game provides these dry erase cards that we distribute and shuffle up. As you heard in the actual play, they have these icons on the back that tell you how this scene is going to go. You don't know what those icons are when you are writing out your schedule. And we end up writing a third of the events are for each of us individually, and then a third of the events are sort of combined shared events that we're both playing. Now, one thing that we also did is we played the three-day variant of this game. The kind of base, like, try it out, get started, is 12 cards in one day, and it's just sort of the blanks and then the Xs. I actually, thinking about this, I don't know if I would ever want to play that version again. I really liked doing this across three days. What did, what did you think, Steph? The three-day variant is just much better. It's a more satisfying gaming experience, partly because it allows the characters to get sick and then get well, to encounter a continuing problem and then solve it. And doing that with the one-day variant with fewer cards and fewer episodes and fewer issues poses some of the same problems as a comic book miniseries that only gets four or six issues to tell its story, which is you can do incidental self-contained anecdotes and confrontations and discoveries, Mm -hmm. or you can have everything be part of an ongoing plot, but not both. And stories are a lot more fun when they have room for both, at least for me. I I absolutely would play the three-day variant again, and I see no reason to ever play the one-day variant again unless you are, I guess, live at a convention demonstrating it and you don't want to run out of time. But we really could not have done anything like what we did in a one-day game. Yeah. And then I just think, you know, for me and kind of how I approach things, the one day variant means that each person is involved in eight events on a single day. And I just, I just, this is a way in which we differ, but I cannot conceive of doing eight different things in the same day. That is too many things by, by, by half. I should point out that you're very good at the things that you choose to do. And I sometimes end up involuntarily half-assing events because I'm doing too many on a single day. (laughs) It's kind of like being a, a robot person who's plugged into too many networks and shorts out. Yeah. Yeah. As far as like the, the prep, is there, is there anything else to kind of get into for this, for the origin story? There's no explicit prep. There's nothing we did together or had to write down. I mentally had some prep that I wanted to do. I had some plans. Uh-huh. I had two things I knew I wanted to happen. I didn't want to tell you about. One was I wanted us to become closer than roommates by the end. Yeah, I figured that's where we were going. Yeah, of course. And, the, and this game is sort of built for that. The other thing that I knew was going to happen was I was going to use my mechanical superpowers to get you out of a yarn-related jam. (laughs) And I was looking for how to do that, and the cards really came up in our favor and made that something I could do. Excellent. Okay, well, now it's time to go into the letters page. And the question we start with is, is what is this game trying to do? And I'm actually going to toss this to the game. So the title page of the rulebook describes our mundane supernatural life as a cozy game of extraordinary daily living. And so, Steph, how is how is that? Did they get it right? 
They really did get it right. This is a game that sort of the opposite of what a lot of superhero stories that are commercially available and a lot of other superhero games do. This is a game whose gravitational field keeps bringing you back to the domestic, Mm. to the hour-to-hour, day-to-day, emotional, and also practical, like who's going to do the dishes, relationship between the two PCs. And whatever you put into it, it's going to come back to that domestic situation. And I, I love that. The game honestly performs exactly as advertised. It does what it says it's going to do. Yeah. And I, I love playing this kind of game. And, and I think that this game, I think, shares some similarities with Anyone Who Wear the Mask by Jeff Stormer from our, our first run in kind of seeing how those sort of almost broad strokes, random decision makers, right? That it's it's like, okay, this is just how the entire scene is going to go, is is the the it's very coarse grained. Yeah. Can still get you to a satisfying story. I think we have some of like the the human pattern matching in this. Uh, I think we had some wonderful kind of uh you know coincidences. Like we got to Friday and things were going great. And then we had the last two scenes. One was an X and then the next one was a heart. Like that was lucky, I think, but I, I, I like the way that you can get this, you know, the story really gets shaped by those random elements in a way that like feels like a like a written story. Like it works, even though it's very much pure chance. That's right. But also I think we got lucky. And I want to talk about two unusual aspects of gameplay. Yeah. One of which you mentioned and one of which we we should bring up, which is the outcome of each scene is determined by what's on the back of the cards that you turn over and you don't know what's going to be on the back of the card until you start the scene. And you roll that D4 to see how many minutes you've got for each scene. That means that the individual scenes have not only a tenor, but a length that is determined by chance in real time. And in a way that's unlike any other RPG that I've played, but resembles theater games. Yeah. You have to be able to really improv. You have to be able to make stuff up on the spot where you don't know what's coming and you don't get what you would get in almost any other role-playing game, which is just to take a beat and try to think about what your character would do. You have to do it now because the clock is ticking. I don't mind that. I rather enjoy that. But it is absolutely not for everyone, and it makes this more more like theater improv the, even than most RPGs, and most RPGs are like theater improv in some way. So yeah, I think that the you know there's there's two pieces there. One is the timing, and and one is the improv that we'll we'll get into. But I do want to focus a little bit on the on the timing piece. And when I first read this game, that felt out of place. I was confused, right? You know, a, a timing element, as you say, is rare in RPGs. It, it feels novel, and so it let it kind of left me thinking like is this like the you know jenga tower in starcross like is this kind of a, a a focal point of the game that you have this time limit but i i think playing it i realized that it's just you need to know when to end the scenes and especially for the scenes that are blank and so it's just like yep this is things pretty much work out as expected you have to know when to stop. Otherwise, that could just just go on or or kind of be unsatisfying or, or something. Yeah. So the timer is is it's less of I guess it felt less like a necessarily like a pressure or affecting things and more just like, look, we gotta call this at some point. Oh, I, I love it, but I also love 
improvising in general, whenever anyone gives you one of those personality tests, it's like you're an improviser. You love to get up in front of people and just <laughs> do stuff and and check in with them to see if it's working and then do more stuff. And you're scared of like detailed planning. And that's right. So I don't know that it's for everyone. Yeah. But this game really conceals my weaknesses and plays to my strengths. <laughs> one of which is I have no idea how to end a conversation or how to say goodbye to people or how to get off the phone. <laughs> and in, in real life, I will meow like a cat. I will, you know, turn away suddenly. And if you get to know me as like a friend, you will be warned that I have no idea how to end a conversation, which I'm, I'm told overlaps with certain well-known uh, kinds of neuroatypicality. But this game is designed for that because you don't have to figure out how to end the scene. The scene ends. Yeah. Now, I will say that going into this project, and I do the editing for these episodes, I was very optimistic about actually leaving those timed segments as is in the final edit. Normally, in these games, in the, you know, all, all podcasts, there's silences cut out, there's tightening things up, maybe sentences that start or you misspeak and sort of do over. You you edit those down, right, for a better listening experience. I was kind of had this theory of like, what if we leave it as is and kind of show off that very timed, very, um, I guess, the sort of the verisimilitude, I think was how I hopefully yeah. used that word correctly, English yeah. professor, yes. um, of, of playing the game. And I will say that that I I did that once and then I changed my mind. Yeah. Because there are a lot of pauses. There was a lot of wait, let me think about this for 5 seconds, which at the table is fine. Like I I don't think we felt like we were at all holding each other up. Like I think the rhythm of the game when we were playing it was fine. Uh, who, when you're listening to that as a podcast, that is an interminable length of time. So listeners, there's five minutes missing from our actual play episode that is just just silence distributed across the 15 scenes and two goodnight scenes. Five minutes of silence are gone. So if, if you want to replicate that, just you know, pause periodically on your podcast player, I think, as, uh, as, you're, as you're doing it. The parts that are me talking when you pause periodically in your podcast player, just say um and uh to avoid dead air. <laughs> I, will, I will say that the one thing is the moth scene, I did not I did not do any editing on that. So that is exactly as is. Cause you know, I was kind of I was kind of proud of of where I went there. And I think that it, it worked with Gima's hesitation and the cryptic texts at the end. So that scene at least is is as we as it was when we were sitting there. It was perfect. This is also most of the games we play on this podcast and most of the games that I play can be played on Zoom can in theory be played audio only if all you've got is an audio link, can be played by assembling people anywhere in the world, and it's almost the same experience of having people physically at a table. This is a game that depends on two people being physically able to see the same card at the same time. I don't know how it would work online. You could probably develop an online variant, but we chose to, to play it physically in the same place, and the feel was different. Yeah, I would say that you you probably could do it fairly well and and maybe online whiteboards or online someone maybe someone has the cards and then at least the fronts of them you've transcribed. But even over Zoom, you get that latency. You get 
a little bit of pausing. You get people talking over each other, which we're doing a little bit here, and I will need to edit out. And I think that sort of for that tightness, and and again, if you only have two to five minutes for this scene, it really helps to be in the same room to to kind of get that that back and forth and that that quickness. Yeah. This is also a game that's designed to accommodate flirting, if that's one of the things you want to do. And flirting with people on Zoom is different. Yeah. It does not require flirting. You can be a row and play it. From what I can see, you can have no interest in the dynamics of flirting and still get a really satisfying gaming experience out of this. So let's talk about let's talk about improv. And I think the other thing listening back, for me at least, is this was kind of humbling. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, and I'm not I'm not like fishing for compliments here, so like don't even bother with that. You get nothing other than the ending as the two people there. You have to bring everything and very much like there's maybe a couple things that we can kind of pre-prepare. You know, honestly, that the the moth yarn thing was something I, I had in mind as, as a place we could go if 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 the sweater didn't work out. But it's it's very generative. You have to be just inventing things quickly out of whole cloth right at the table. Uh, that was hard. That was hard for me. And listening back, I hear it being hard. Oh, there is no appropriate response to that that I can think of other than compliments to you because it's it was really fun for me and it sounded great. And you created a character for whom reacting to the unexpected challenges of daily life was hard. <laughs> and whatever Nailed minimal it. amount of prep the game allows, you did it. And Emily is an absolutely compelling roommate and perhaps more than roommate for Gima. I did not find the improv aspect difficult. Mm-hmm. I just kept throwing people and events in and it was it was fine. One thing that I did find difficult and a thing that I wonder about If you're going to have an overarching story to your series of incidents, to have a satisfying gameplay experience, you do want the story to end in a satisfying way, either a cathartic tragedy, or you save each other, or Mm -hmm. your relationship goes to the next place. We lucked out because we got, as, as Fiona said, an X and then a heart, which means you come closer together and have a big feelings experience as the last card. And I wonder whether we would have had fun as much and come away with as good feelings about the game if the last improv demand in the game had been a double X or perhaps worse yet, a blank backside so that the event just went okay and nothing really changed. Mm. I I wonder whether one would want to create or to play a variant of our mundane supernatural life in which you knew what the last card was going to be, a heart or a star or an X. Yeah, I I, I don't know. And and I, I think that you're right that probably the the worst case is the blank because that just sort of goes flat. And I kind of wonder like what 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 we would have done for Gima and Emily. There's a chance that it might have ended up similar, right? Because we both we both wanted the story to sort of go in that direction. But I don't know if Emily would have been as welcoming and relieved when Gima showed up at the convenience store with all of the the pastries and, and things like that, if it had been a blank. 
versus versus uh, yeah. the, the heart that it was. And and this is a, a very clear contrast between what we want out of the game and rules as written. Because normally when we, we try to play everything rules as written on this podcast, sure. it means that if there's a confusing rule, we try to follow it exactly. And here there is a game mechanic that says you have to have a scene that ends inconclusively or without a big emotional beat for the characters. And it's a very good thing, both that we began with some catastrophes to solve and that we got a heart at the end that told us to end the game in the way that we wanted to end the game anyway. I don't know what we would have done. All right. Anything else we want to kind of cover here in in the letters page piece? I feel adequately covered. Covered <laughs> in soft wool, as it were. Yeah. As I a sheep wore. That sounds like you're referencing something. It's Pierce Plowman. Don't worry about it. Check the show notes. <laughs> so we end the letters page with this question always. Steph, how did this game make you feel like a superhero? It emphasized my own and my character's somewhat flustered wish to help everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the contrast, which is one of the things I love about yep. superhero stories... And something that this this game is really built to emphasize, the contrast between you're really good at your job and you're a mess in your personal life. You don't know what to do next. And when you don't know what to do next in your personal life, your domestic life, your emotional life, you superhero at people. Mm -hmm. You don't understand the mundane things that all regular humans can do. So if you're into someone and you want to help them out. You try to find a thing you can use your powers to solve. You turn into an automatic dishwasher. You turn into a car and drive them to their destination. I feel that. And I created a character to emphasize that. And this game <laughs> absolutely lends itself to the supernatural character using their powers to make up for not knowing how to do mundane things. And that makes it a game that speaks very directly to some neuroatypicality that I'm interested in, let's say. Yeah. I don't know what I would have done. And next time we we play this, Fiona, I am going to play the mundane character. Yep, yep. I, I, I don't know how to behave when I can't use special powers and abilities. I don't know what else to do. I kind of flail. I, I did also kind of love how we were able to again through through and this came up through the improv at the interview section at the end where Emily is flailing because there is this thing that she forgot to plan for and the social anxiety pieces start coming up for her and like she doesn't know kind of how to have this conversation with Aiden and like Gima is there with this sort of very logical but very effective remedy for that and um that 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 really pleased me that we were able and i think that that then i was able to then sort of start to justify kind of emily's changing feelings for gima and kind of all the ways that she's certainly helping her out logistically of like being a dishwasher and being a loom but here was was bringing that with that emotional piece that i think can then sort of spark their their deeper relationship that I think that they, they get into going forward. Of all the things that I came up with completely unprompted, 
I think my single favorite, I didn't know I was going to do that, was when I realized that all the superheroes were Doctor Who fans because I needed a reason for them to be wearing <laughs> things that you made. And uh, of course, like, I don't know how, I mean, you know, listeners, please feel free to psychoanalyze uh, us based on the way this improv worked. But I thought it was, I was touched by the way that as Emily, I was pushing to be awkward and uncomfortable at the at the party and you just like immediately came in with like no 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 it's gonna be fine it's totally great like you don't have to worry everyone's gonna love it like that reassurance piece was was touching this is a game as good theater games often do with especially good theater games that can be played sort of in private this is a game that encourages the nearly undisguised <laughs> yeah. psychoanalytic soul bearing of its players. Oh yeah, yeah. And 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 feel feel free everyone to like look at Fiona's trust issues as those come out here too. <laughs> I mean well, should we, should we move on? Like, this is getting this is getting too real right now. I mean, we're showing how this game works. Yeah, no, this is how, this is how it works. This yeah. is, yeah. as I believe you said in our last Back Matter, that self-discovery is an important part of the RPGs that we care about. And I think, I think you get some of that here, no doubt. Very much of that. So much of that. Okay, we're going to move on to the next segment of our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this is ongoings, retcons, and spinoffs and we'll kind of go back and forth and i think we've got we've got a little time to breathe on these so we can get into them if you want ongoing is if this game were to continue or you know what else would you want to see from it or if we were to play it again with with different characters because like i don't like this game doesn't continue right i mean it's like it's a one shot it's over but are there pieces of this game that we didn't necessarily get into in our play that you're you're still excited about and would want to see the next time we play of the game or of the characters? Because I would love to see these characters show up again in a different system. They have continuing <laughs> challenges. Well, now they we can add them to our our, our stable of referenceable NPCs. Oh, yeah. No, em- Emily and the Yarn Shop, we are absolutely going to see that again. And um, I, if you're not careful, I may bring back uh, Karen Woolen. Oh, God. <laughs> it's a pun, listeners. I'm not going to tell you what the pun is because I you just you need to eventually figure it out and then get upset <laughs> but <laughs> if you know you know and if you don't know me but you're better off not knowing um but in terms of aspects of this game there are two things that we didn't get to that would maybe be easier to get to in a less obviously superhero-y way or with characters who just had different challenges. One of them is there is the opportunity for one of the the partners to physically save the other, mm-hmm. which we kind of came close to that, but we didn't really get a full-on kind of Superman-Lois Lane situation. And one of the ways that you can play this is as a Superman-Lois Lane situation, a, a sort of classically already romantic partnership. And the interesting way to do that would be to find a way for Lois Lane to save Superman, which if you're writing a Superman comic, you, I hope, think about on the regular if it's got Lois in it. So the the sort of reverse power dynamic, someone has to save someone else physically as well as emotionally, the game allows that and we didn't do it. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I am noticing looking at the rules that this game allows for and even encourages... And again, it makes the game a little bit darker. <laughs> there are many 
mundane partners and many potential supernatural partners whose powers or whose dilemmas get dangerous to those around them. And we, we kind of came close to that with the grid ghost subplot. But if you wanted, you could really hit the psychodrama. The mundane partner could have dangerous people in their background. Yep. The mundane person could have other kinds of struggles. And the supernatural partner could be someone who would be a doomed in a game of masks or someone who comes from the Hellboy universe or someone who struggles with their powers and their origins instead of mostly reveling in it. And that would create a different kind of game. And this game has real goth potential and we're not goths. So we didn't go in that direction. I'm I'm a science girl. I, I go click and beep a lot. But this game has absolute potential for that kind of supernatural event if you want to take it there. And uh, other people who play this game are going to be able to use it really well. Yeah, and I think that that's probably my ongoing in in some way is, <clears throat> you know, when we when when we do play this again, and I think the two of us very likely w- will, you know, sometime probably off mic. Yeah, same. I want to I want to be a I want to be the supernatural person where the downside is darker, where the problem is, you know, we could either go sort of classic vampire and have to feed <sighs> or some other element of it that makes the supernatural a more of like a, like a challenge or a, a something that could be literally pushing the mundane person away and kind of see where things go in, in that route. And that's, you know, I think that's just, uh, I, I want to kind of see some of that drama. I want to dig into that a little bit edgier side. And, um, you know, I like playing bad girls, not going to lie. So next is retcon. And this is the question, how would you approach this differently? And I'm going to lead off with this. I'm not going to reuse the vampire thing. I want to get better at improv. And I, I think that one of the things that I, I've mentioned, I've, I've got, uh, you know, a, a attention issues on this podcast before. And so one of the things that draws me back to a game is feeling like there's either something I missed or something that I could greatly improve on, right? If this game had gone 100% awesome, I'd be like, okay, great, done. Check that box. I know what that's like. Let me try something else. In my mind, it didn't. Now, I I hope it was awesome and fun to listen to and all this stuff. Like I would, I, you know, we wouldn't have like, we wouldn't be publishing these episodes. I think if I was like, well, that sucked. I think it was great. I think it was fine, but I think I can be significantly better. And so that makes me want to come back to it and practice and and try try to hit that. You know, to to develop my more generative improv side. I feel like my reactive side is pretty good. I like riffing, I like callbacks. The generative piece is something that I want to work on more. I think trusting my partner and accepting their offers more generously, uh, I think is something that I can, I can try to, you know, try to be better and sort of be, be willing to not know where the story goes. So it's, that is actually bringing me back to this game almost more than like, oh, hey, what if I'm a bloodthirsty werewolf, which would be fun. But seeing that real headroom for improvement, I think is, is, is where I would go for, for the retcon and approach this with, you know, sorry, yeah. after reading, hey, Improv for Gamers, second edition, Karen 12's uh, Evil Hat came out recently. Uh, read through that, do some practices, and, and, and maybe take another stab at this. Oh, I think 
And you kind of said that you feel like you could have done better, but our listeners, we hope, will think it's great. I think it's great. I really love where Emily was going. And you built into the game a character whose uncertainties about herself interacted with your, I guess, uncertainties about yourself as, you know, a generative improviser on the clock. I love the results. I think that was great. (laughs) There's two things that I would wish I had been able to do differently and would do differently next time, I guess. One has to do with performance and speech, which is about podcasting, but also about gaming. I use too many hesitation forms. I say um and uh too much when there's a real-time situation, when there's real-time improvisation going on, especially when I'm in the same room with someone. And that is a technical thing, but it's also something that's going to come up, dear listeners, when you play the game. If once you get comfortable improvising, you may want to think about how you present those results in real time to the person or people you're with and how smooth your offer becomes, to use another theater term. The offer is when you do something and give your co-improviser a chance to react. The other thing that I want to do differently next time, I think, is that I created a character who had largely solved her most basic emotional problem, which is, am I a real person who gets to live in the world and make my own decisions? And therefore went about trying to help everyone else in a way that was sometimes, I hope, funny and sometimes ineffective and sometimes very effective and, I hope, surprising and entertaining. I did not create a character who was already emotionally vulnerable in herself. So a lot of the major story arc here was how can I, once I am free of my own physical peril and I'm unlikely to shut down the city due to villain possession, how can I help Emily solve her yarn problems? And how can I become someone who Emily could physically cuddle, which also has to do with temperature regulation and insulation? I thought that worked out well and was a satisfying gaming experience and a satisfying emotional experience. But the next time I play a game like this, I think I want to play the character who is periodically consumed by fear or self-doubt or Mm -hmm. can I really do this? All right. We are going to have to play this guys. We good. And and honestly, like thinking about the hesitation stuff, uh, new respect for people who stream their games live. I, (laughs) I don't know how you do it. Editing. Oh, oh, no, you live, mean a live, live. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's hard. Uh, I know. That's live DJ talk show host skills. Yeah. Ned, we're going to have to talk. All right. So the last piece of this is spinoffs. What parts of this game would we want to see in other games or sort of other systems build on top of? Steph, what, uh, what, do, you, what, do, you, what do you thinking? I would like to see other games with entirely other game mechanics have a mechanical system in which the economic vitality, either of the city or of the PCs, is part of the gameplay. Because I can't remember having seen a superhero game where the money aspects and the non-superhero economy of the city have a mechanical element. Mm. And I thought that was really cool. How are we going to make a living? Having that come up every so often in the same way that... In, for example, Mutant City Blues, there are physical disabilities and physical health constraints on some of the characters. 
So that's that's one thing. The other thing that I really liked about this game that could be mechanically introduced into other systems is that you come up with a bunch of things that could happen in advance and they're on cards. And I don't know that I'd want to import the you turn the card over to see if it goes well aspect to more conventional storytelling dice rolling systems. But having a whole bunch of incidents that can be imported at certain times, some of which come from a GM and some of which come from a player in a GM-oriented system, Mm -hmm. that's cool. And that is a game mechanic that could be used elsewhere. I am struggling to come up with with something and and part of it is this this game feels so tight but so unique like it's it's its own thing and yeah. I mean I honestly I think that I think that tightness maybe I, I mean so you know you look at this game and this is you know, I got it off of off of Kickstarter and it really does need that physical presentation or or at least it 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 thrives on it I think with the little whiteboards and we got the little different colored dry erase markers all in the box. It's it's a perfect length. It this like the internal pacing of it is is so good. It doesn't, you know, I I don't think we needed it to go on any longer. It didn't feel like a stretch. It was just tremendously satisfying. And so I, I think that just that that polish of I mean the physical goods and and is great, but it feels like a just like the polish of the experience. Yeah, and and so absolute, you know, tremendous props to uh, to to V Hendro and, and Haley Gordon for for putting this together because it. Yeah, no complaints, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's, so it's great. I, this is this is not. Which all games are this this uh, this focused uh, and streamlined? It's oh, it's wonderful. It's really it's really well designed, and we've played. We've played games on this podcast, and we will play them again, where we're like, I love that this thing could change and be different. Uh, this is a really well-designed game. This is a game that was ready to go when it was made available to consumers and punters like us. There is something else that this this game could contribute mechanically to ongoing campaigns in particular, which is uh-huh. that we chose to create new characters, which was a good idea. You could, if you wanted play this game with characters who you are already operating in an ongoing Ooh. campaign in another system. Yeah, you're right. I like this. Yeah, you could play it to do the quieter scenes or the domestic scenes or the no other characters are present scenes that if you've got two characters who are romancing each other or who have emotional stuff to work out in a four or five player long ongoing campaign the other three players in your regular let's say masks campaign do not want to sit there and watch two hours of romance or psychodrama Mm -hmm. between your beacon and your doomed but if you take those characters and you find a day when the two of you are free and whoever wants to watch and you just play my mundane supernatural our mundane supernatural life with them and have enough notes that everyone knows what happens, you can return to your ongoing superhero campaign with characters who have changed and grown. I love that. And that only works if the two PCs have enough of a power differential between them to make the rules for Armandine's supernatural life sensible. You couldn't really do this with two cosmically powered beings who are romancing each other. But if you've got Hawkeye... And this game solves the Hawkeye problem by its nature. I, I have opinions, but you know. Okay. 
if you've got, let's say, for example, Kate Bishop dating America Chavez, just to give you one example, you could just play this game and then go back to your Young Avengers simulation. So I, I think I would, as as a proud Beacon player, mm-hmm. I, well, I, let's let's put it this way. I think that kind of as set up, your Beacon is still your supernatural person, right? It's still the person who's in the strange world of superheroes. They're not in a mundane world, okay? Even yeah. though they don't have mystical powers, that's still the world that they live in. But I think that that aside, this does work for any two characters where there is that feeling of separate spheres and yeah. they can each have a separate problem that maybe the other one can help with or maybe not but it's it's about it's about the separation and the coming together like like mechanically right there's no there's no role for magic right like mechanically you could do anything with this right it doesn't even but but i think that were you to import this into another game with two pcs or the pc and an, and an npc as long as you have that difference, I think you still, this game still is is there for you and giving you something. I think that's right. And that's maybe the retcon that we, sh- we could have added and can add now in terms of what would you like to see different is you could write a variant for this game in which you've got two superpowered characters who are coming from different spheres and have different kinds of problems that don't overlap. All right. Well, with that, I think we can shift our focus away from our mundane supernatural life and over to the comic book collections. It's time to talk back issues. Back issues. So what are the stories that are like mundane supernatural life? If you like this coziness, if you like some domestic superhero stuff, where can you go to get published superhero material? that fits that bill. So the, the word published is unusual here because if, if, what, if what you want to read- I'm setting this up. This is a, this is a real this is a setup yeah. of a question. You have teed it up because there are many, many stories of almost any superhero with a reasonable fan base just trying to have a, a day with a less powered or differently powered or unpowered companion, but they are mostly fan fiction because this game is designed to tell a kind of story that company-owned superhero comic books are generally editorially prohibited from telling except in the background as a B-plot or a C-plot while there are fights in the foreground. So the first piece of advice here is just get out there on AO3 and whatever other fan fiction platforms you like and look for your favorite superhero couples. The second piece of advice is that there are individual couples in company-owned superhero comics who really fit this bill of the mundane and the superpowered figure are dating or appear to be dating and have to solve domestic problems while attending to their separate separate worlds. Mm-hmm. There are comic book stories and commercially published, you know, Marvel and DC things that do handle that. Superman and Lois Lane, that happens a lot. I don't know what the best examples of it are. I suspect they tend to be AUs and possible futures. You know what? The Kurt Busiek Superman graphic novel, Mm -hmm. I forget the subtitle, but it is the Kurt Busiek 
Superman story that's available as a graphic novel. It ran something like five or six issues in which we see him settle down and raise kids is one place to go. Another place to go is the story of Jean-Paul Bobier, North Star from the X-Men and his now husband, Kyle Ginadou, who is... The most important thing about Kyle is that he's not superpowered. He began as North Star's manager because North Star is also a sports star. And the story from the Marjorie Lou written Astonishing X-Men run that includes the famously first same gender wedding in superhero comics Mm -hmm. and the wedding prep is part of the story. But the larger context for that story, which is astonishing, I think it's something like 48 through 52, it's the first run of Astonishing, is all about can Kyle and Jean-Paul really belong together when one of them will always be in a superhero world and one of them will never be? And is their dynamic going to be Kyle gets taken hostage and Jean-Paul saves him or Kyle helps Jean-Paul be a person or is it going to be something that is more romantic and more complicated? And I love the way that that story gets told. And if you're going to go out and, and read it, you should know that it includes not only those issues of Astonishing, but the Astonishing X-Men annual from, I think, the early 20-teens that's also written by Marjorie Liu, L-I-U. Yeah, I got introduced to Kyle in X-Factor in the Leah Williams run. And fell in love with with him and and that dynamic and I love that he is living in the boneyard and every day takes a Krakoan portal to work and the moment that I think like I just uh, I was over the moon is in the Trial of Magneto miniseries that sort of extended and ended X Factor there's a moment where Magneto is threatening Kyle and it's like he's a human and obviously you know Magneto is well, I don't want to spoil, spoil that part, but like North Star's like, he's Crick Hohen. Like, no, that is my husband and he is part of this community. He doesn't have powers, but that doesn't matter. And uh, I, just, I read that and page like, oh, this is, this is great. Like, I, I love this. I, I love what Kyle brings yes. to, uh, to Krakoa. Yeah. I, I'm tempted to say you can just go through whatever your favorite, you know, database is and find all the appearances of Kyle Genadu. And just read all the major appearances of Kyle and you'll get the closest to my mundane supernatural, our mundane supernatural life, our mundane supernatural life Mm -hmm. that a company in superhero comics will give you. Yeah. So I, and again, it's, you know, acknowledging that it is, it is slim pickings. I do kind of want to mention my favorite published couple, and that is Doreen Green, aka the Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, Mm -hmm. and Nancy Whitehead. Her big air quotes, roommates. And in particular, Squirrel Girl 31 by Ryan North and Erica Henderson. It was it was her last issue on, on that just incredible, incredible run. Yeah. This is the story where Doreen and Nancy are zapped by a machine that puts them into hypertime. And so they are going to essentially age their entire lives over the course of a weekend to the rest of New York City. And what they end up doing is going around at super speed all weekend, helping people, right? They replace bullseye's guns with bananas. They prevent traffic accidents. They sort of do do all of these things while also trying to figure out a way to get home and learn about time travel and, and time machines and also learn to paint 
together and spend their lives together. And by the end of that issue, and it's a, it's a self-contained issue, they're, they're old. They're in their 70s or 80s, and they have lived 50 years together. And it's lovely. And one of the things that sort of the way that it ends is that they do get back, because that's what's going to happen, with no memory of the time that they spent together. And so we see it as readers and unfortunately have to infer a lot from the way they're presented together and, and the way they've stayed together for that amount of time. But it is, it, it is, it is a really sweet sweet moment and i and i would love sort of have that for those those two characters yeah, that i yes. certainly care a lot about yes. i you know, it's I, and and so thinking about Doreen and Nancy one of the things is that Nancy ends up kind of being the hawkeye of the squirrel squad that she is part of Doreen's life and and so unlike our mundane supernatural life on page she tends not to have her own conflicts or sort of outside superhero things. Certainly she has different dynamics with the superheroes than Doreen does. I mean, her relationship with Loki is wonderful. But so in that way, it's like not a great fit, but it is, I I have to mention it. You know, I, it's at some point we got to, you know, we'll talk it's more great. Squirrel Girl, I'm it's sure. It's great. But yeah, it's wonderful, uh, wonderful issue. Absolutely yes. recommend. Yes, we miss it. We miss the comic. Yeah. So for other things, uh, I'm going to pitch my own fanfic because you know what? I'm on my bullshit. <laughs> I do love superheroes in domestic settings, superheroes using their powers in domestic settings. So I will link in the show notes to my Katiana, Kate Pride and Ileana Rasputin fic that uh, I actually wrote for you, Steph, as a AO3 gift <laughs> that starts out with Kate Pride making coffee and a very grumpy Ileana trying to steal it. And a lot of powers use and fun stuff. And I, I hope you, you know, hope maybe check that out and enjoy it. I enjoyed writing it and I love that kind of scene and that kind of story. So that is my blatant self-promotion of my fanfic pitch. I enjoyed that fic also. Thank God. I, yes, I will. I, I mean, of course I did. Uh, I will say on air uh, that yes, I do write fanfic and I have uh, written some fanfic that would fill the descriptions and conditions of the game our mundane supernatural life for some of my favorite superhero couples and that's i think all i want to say on a podcast uh, i do want to encourage i mean okay you know what you know what fine do it come on i will find one of the the completely safer work public identity fix uh that that i have put out there and uh, we will put those links in the podcast all right i mean should, should we say our ao3 names are you willing to go this far my public facing fic on AO3 that I ha I have I teach so I have to think about what I'm okay with all of my students <laughs> reading uh, my completely it safe for work after all my completely safe for work uh, X-Men fanfic and and related fanfic on AO3 can be found at not quite Hyde Park yeah and I'm Samantha Vimes which is an odd to completely unrelated to this podcast, but there is a completely wonderful Discworld gender-bent Sam Vimes and Sybil Ramkin story that I didn't write, but was tremendously touched by. And so, yeah, Samantha Vimes. Oh, One of the things that we're seeing about the game, Our Monday and Supernatural Life, which we are covering on this podcast, is that it points its players in the direction of spaces and topics that for decades have been primarily the province of fanfic writers. 
Yeah, no doubt. And I think that we may eventually do Thirsty Sword Lesbians uh, on this podcast, again, in, in sort of a, like, let's how, see how this can do superhero stuff. I know that uh, April Walsh, the designer of that, has pitched it as slash fic the game, and I think that's 100% true. This is... This is cozy fic. Yes. The game. Yes. And it's it, it it does it tremendously well. So we should point out that slash fic for Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a pun. Oh hey, you know that it is. Pun detector on. All right. Well, that I think then means it's a good time to end this episode, end our mundane supernatural life. And I think, you know, it's honestly, it's the roll of the die. The, the timer's up. We can just awkwardly stop this because we still have not figured out how to satisfyingly end an episode of the show. Thank you for listening, listeners. Bye, pals. Take care. Thanks for listening. This run, we've been talking about our mundane supernatural life by V. Hendro and Haley Gordon, published by Story Brewers. You can find out more at the Story Brewers website, storybrewersroleplaying.com. We're going to take a little time off between runs, and we're going to be back to play Sentinel Comics' The Role-Playing Game. Designed and developed by Christopher Bedell, Cam Banks, Dave Chalker, Philippe Antoine Minard, and published by Greater Than Games and Critical Hit Studios. This is going to be a return to that superhero business, Silver Age, team beat-em-up story. Team Up Moves is a production of Fiona Hopkins and Stephanie Burt, copyright 2022. You can find us on Twitter as at Team Up Moves, or individually as at Fiona Wim and at Accommodatingly, respectively. You can also find us on Mastodon as Team Up Moves at Dice.Camp, and Fiona as Fiona Wim at dice.camp. Check those show notes for spellings of all of that. Our website, which has all of our episodes across all of our runs, as well as subscribe links and information on how to email us, is teamupmoves.com. Our theme music is Play by Sleepyhead. Find more of their music at sleepyheadrockband.com. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, toot about it, or maybe tell someone on Discord. We really appreciate anything you can do to spread the word about our show. Till next time, take care, pals.